Hello and welcome to another episode of the Golden Hour Podcast brought to you by the Polar Pro Studio. I'm your host, Dave Mays, and today I'm with my good friend and um, strangely very similar guest, Tyler Harrington, uh, all the way out in, uh, where do you live? Richmond, Virginia. That's right. Live East from Coast. Richmond, Virginia. Live, <laughs> coming in hot. Now, Tyler and I met uh, a couple months ago when I started working with Amy and Jordan, my cousins. Amy is my cousin, her husband, Jordan. They have a wedding photography and education uh, business. And Tyler actually works for someone very similar named Caitlin James. And she does wedding photography education uh, as well. And we connected because Caitlin James and Amy and Jordan are friends. And Tyler's actually met Amy and Jordan as well. And Amy and Jordan, when I first got hired, they kept talking about this guy, Tyler, that Caitlin had and Tyler, Tyler, Tyler. And I looked him up on Instagram and sure enough, like he's doing a lot of the same things I'm doing. He likes a lot of the same things I like. He shoots on the C70, which we're shooting on. And I was just like, I gotta be friends with this guy. We ended up having a great dinner uh, at some event. What was that? Sh uh, show it? Yeah. Show it United in Arizona. A, um big photography conference that we were out there for that Amy and Jordan were speaking at and Caitlin was speaking at. I was actually there with Show It um, doing some work for them, but yeah, yeah, it was awesome. And you were, you were kind enough to let me borrow your um, your gimbal yeah. setup because I only had one camera and you had a couple. So, but anyways, I just like, we were already talking to each other regularly over Instagram and stuff. But after our dinner, I feel like that really solidified our friendship. We had an amazing dinner at Zips yep. in Arizona and i got the um that amazing like burrito sandwich thing that everybody talks about but yeah anyways, it, was it was a was uh, it was a three hour long conversation partially out <laughs> of just like t nerdy youtube talk but also partially out of necessity yeah. because we accidentally ordered extremely large beers uh without yeah. actually realizing how large they were going to be when they brought them to the table we were like all right well yeah. i guess we're going to be here for a while yeah it was absurdly large uh, but you know Hey, when in Rome, right? Yeah. When in Arizona, I guess. So I think the funniest but, thing, Dave, is about when we when you first messaged me on Instagram, I already knew who you were because of um, you know, Indie Mogul and like all that sort of stuff. So I was like, you messaged me and I was like, wait a minute, like, is that the the Dave Mays sending me a message? Uh -huh. Because you have an underscore under your uh under your name on Instagram. So I was like, wait a minute. Stop maybe stop it's reminding like a me. fake Dave Mays, you know? Uh <laughs> so I had to like go look it up and see. And I was like, no, sure enough, I'm like this is him. And you I think you just said something like, Hey, or whatever. That was it. It was like very ambiguous. And I was like, Oh my gosh, the Dave Mays is messaging on Instagram. And he just said, Hey. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? Um, <laughs> and we started that. we started chatting back and forth, and I was like trying to figure out. I'm like, you're like, yeah, we were like talking about you today. And I was like, who is he talking with me? I'm like, oh my gosh, like the Dave Maves was talking about me. Trying to figure out how this whole thing. Like, I had no idea where you would ever have heard of me or anything because I didn't know that yeah. you were Amy's cousin. I've known okay. Amy and Jordan yeah. for years and years and years, and Amy would always tell me like, oh yeah, I've got a cousin in Nashville who does video stuff. Like for years, she's been <laughs> talking about her cousin in Nashville who does video stuff. And then uh -huh. I've always known of you from like Indie Mogul or whatever. So then, but I had no idea that it was like the same, it was the same person. And so, you know, we started talking on Insta <laughs> stories or Instagram, and then all of a sudden I was like, you kind of like made the connection and it all kind of clicked in my brain. I was like, oh, yeah. that's so crazy. <laughs> so yeah, so it was a funny, uh, funny way totally. that we first were introduced. But yes, we do have a lot of similar interests. We're very, um, we have a very large intersection of our Venn diagram. We're very different, but the ways that we are the same, <laughs> yeah. we have a lot of similarities. So 
Absolutely. And one of the things that I really want to talk to you about in this episode is just how you run your business because you and your wife have been able to uh, create a successful business doing video production. You've got several um, people that are on a retainer. You do freelance projects, you do uh, commercial projects, um, just kind of everything under the sun. But the production level of it is extremely high and amazing. Uh, you shoot weddings, you shoot on, I think you're, you're all C70s now, which is really cool. Yep. How many do you have now? So I have two C70s. I just sold my C200, um, which was okay. sort of a sad day. But uh, yeah, almost all that was a great camera. cinema cameras. It lasted a long time, but it was great. Yes, I got it, it late in the game. Um, unfortunately, like I bought it and then like six months later, the C70 came out. So I didn't really get to oh, you know, put the most like value into it as <laughs> okay. i probably could have because i should have just waited for the c70 um but i got impatient but anyway um yeah i i appreciate that yeah so we a little backstory you know we shot primarily weddings for a really long time you know, i started shooting weddings when i was in college back in 2011 ish um and that was one thing i appreciate you had matt johnson on uh, a couple episodes ago and he and i are really good friends and listening to that episode is really funny because hearing you guys kind of reminisce about your you know early wedding days um was very similar to the experience I was having, but just sort of like I was more on the outside looking in and you guys were kind of like on the, you know, on the ground with, you know, the still motions and the Joe Simons and all those sorts of people. Um, but that well, was, I, yeah, I mean, I wasn't, I definitely wasn't playing on that same level playing field, but we were inspired by them and we were young and actually, you know, actively, yeah. Is that what you mean? We were actively uh, doing it. Yeah. At well, it seems time. like Matt knew Joe or like had, you had some like more interactions yeah. with them and you had like, you know, met Peter who was working for them and like all those things. Like I was sure. just sort of like a very, you know, observer, just, you know, watching every still motion video I could find where you guys Dude, had a little, so you were a little bit closer to the source, I would say like in those in those times. Um, but yeah, we started, sh started shooting weddings, um, started out primarily as a photographer, actually. Um, that was what my background was in. Um, bought the 60D back in the day, shot some Heck video. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love that. I remember that was the first one that uh, had a flip screen. Yeah, and it, it had was a really flip nice. screen and it shot, the first like DSLR I ever had that shot video. And I've been doing a little yeah. bit of video before then, but that was like, this shows how old we are, um, back on like the little mini DV tapes. Um, oh yeah. All that sort of stuff, so. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so started kind of added one wedding. Actually, I brought my 60D to a rehearsal dinner, shot a bunch of like random footage, kind of mashed it all up, put it, uh, put it on Facebook. And one of my friends saw it and was like, bro, you could probably charge like a thousand dollars for this. And I was like, <laughs> at least a thousand dollars. And I was like, man, all right. So I started offering, uh, started doing, like getting really obsessed with, uh, still motion and kind of learning everything I could about video. Um, and then, yeah, between when we got married in 2013, we started running the business together. And for, you know, five, six, seven years, uh, we shot, you know, 25 to 30 weddings a year. And that was, you know, the majority of our of our income, of our business, of kind of everything. Um, and then two, two and a half, like three years ago, when we got pregnant with our first child, our daughter, um, we kind of knew that the 30 weddings a year wedding lifestyle of being gone every weekend and all that stuff just wasn't going to be feasible anymore. It wasn't something we really wanted to pursue um, in the same way that we were before. So we decided to kind of start pivoting away from from weddings and trying to figure out like what's what's going to be next. Um, and it's been sort of like a two and a half year long journey. Um, but this past year, 2021, I feel like I've finally kind of like honed in on like a really, we're in like a really cool spot with the business. And I think that's what we're gonna talk about today. But um, yeah, I'm really excited kind of like for where we're at and where we're going and um, that's amazing. Yeah. So 
you actually were working with your wife as like partners essentially yeah with the yeah so stuff? i started the business like i said when i was in college before we you know were married or anything like that but as soon as we got married i knew that she brought a lot to the table that i didn't um she had a little bit of a background in like photo stuff and you know learned video pretty quickly um but it definitely wasn't like her passion but she was really great at you know at the time blogging was really important and really big um social media interacting with the bride doing all that kind of stuff so she kind of was able to take on that side of the business the stuff that i really struggled with kind of being in the wedding world um, and yeah. I was able to bring kind of that feminine touch all the, to it. All the girl stuff. Yeah, yeah. exactly. exactly. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> Which was great because it left me to just like the shooting and the editing and the gear and all the stuff that I really loved. So it was actually the perfect um, perfect setup for us for a long time. And, you know, we got to shoot together. So, you know, instead of being gone shooting 30 weddings a year by myself or with a random second shooter or whatever, um, it was always her. And, you know, there was a lot of appeal to being a husband and wife team. People really enjoy that and, you know, all that, all that good stuff. So, yeah, it ended up being a really great you know, situation for, for us, um, up until, you know, the last couple of years. Yeah. I tell people all the time, one of the best ways to get started in video production, in my opinion, is not to go to school or like necessarily like even be a PA on set. I think a great place to get boots on the ground and just get experiences to shoot weddings. Yeah. It's like they're happening all the time. If you can get in to the video world, um, doing weddings, I think it's a great way to just get some experience it's not sexy Mm -hmm. it's not like a ton of fun um you're not going to be working with professional uh video people it's consumer it's a consumer product so um you could spend all day like on a slider shot and like trying to shoot super flat and color grade it and nobody's going to really notice. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, there's definitely like a, um, a point of diminishing return for sure. And it's, it's kind of like an art form in itself in understanding, you know, figuring out how to get the right shots that you need, having the right equipment, being in the right spot. Um, it's a lot of anticipating what's coming next, um, you know, thinking three steps ahead. And yeah, I mean, there's a reason why people who get started in wedding films, when they do venture off into something beyond weddings, a lot of times they're able to find success is because, you know, if you can shoot, I would say, if you can shoot weddings, you can probably shoot anything um, because you're, especially if you're trying to do it at that really high level. Cause like I said, I was inspired by still motion and those guys and what they were bringing to the table. And then when they started making their move into the commercial side, um, that made a lot of sense for me too. Cause I could see a lot, how did that, a lot of the ways that we were shooting weddings and the goals we had for our wedding films, even if they were like a little over ambitious, maybe, and the client may not appreciate it, being able to try and make that cinematic wedding film and get those slider shots and tell the stories in those ways. If you can do it in that really high pressure situation, when you get on to where you have more time to actually plan and set stuff up and you know, all that stuff, it's, you know, makes it that much easier. Um, so I do attribute a lot of like the skills that I have to shooting weddings for all these years. And again, probably trying to go a little bit above and beyond with like the gear and caring about things that most people in the wedding world may or may not. Um, but that's also, I think why we found success, um, in the weddings was, you know, not only bringing the technical skill set to weddings, but also just being able to manage the day well and, having experience and working well with vendors and, you know, being a good person to work with. And I always joke that, um, I feel like the wedding filmmaking world is like 10, 10 or 15 years behind the photography world. Um, and having known Caitlin (laughs) for so long, right. So I was involved in like the Caitlin James world. That's where I got into weddings to begin with was kind of in the photography in the sort of new era of the female wedding photographer. That's very, um, you know, all about the experience, um, creating, you know, 
their own kind of brand around their personality and their families and things like that. So that was kind of like the the way I was introduced into weddings. And then mm-hmm. coming into the filmmaking side of it, I brought a lot of what I learned from the photography world, from the marketing, blogging sort of standpoint. But I just kind of brought the obsession with gear and filmmaking and storytelling and all that stuff to it. And I think that was also kind of like our one of our keys to success was that no, a lot of a lot of people, especially at the time, weren't doing that from the you know social media website, blogging, personal marketing sort of standpoint. So it helped us to stand out in you know in two ways: being in a less saturated market in terms of just doing video, and then also bringing that sort of unique, I don't know. It, unique for the wedding filmmaking world perspective. Um, so anyway, so that was where we, totally. how we kind of did our wedding thing. And, um, but we're also in the photography world a lot from, you know, working with Caitlin. I've been working with Caitlin for, oh gosh, forever. I was an ag, I was joking. Tell me, tell me well, for our listeners oh, who sure. don't know who Caitlin is, yes, tell us who Caitlin James is. Yeah. So Caitlin is a, uh, international wedding photographer based here in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, I feel like um, I hear all of her spiels. Um, but yeah, she's, she's a wedding photographer. She started getting really popular in, you know, 2010, 2011, and kind of like the Jasmine Star era kind of thing. And again, her, I think what made her so successful so early and what kind of grew her this really, you know, larger than normal following of other photographers was just her approach to business and photography and all that sort of stuff. And she was very, very um, intentional about putting her personality and herself into her marketing and into her business and kind of like marketing herself in that way. I was like Caitlin James first and then like photographer her second almost. Um, but yeah, and she was sort of always been a, you know, uh, you know, leading the way and kind of, she doesn't really follow the status quo. I always joke that she's, you know, she's always kind of blazing a new trail. And if everyone goes left, she goes right. And eventually everyone's following her. Um, but yeah, she's just, she's just a very influential wedding photographer who started selling courses before selling courses was like the big popular thing. And she's built a very, um, successful online wedding photography education business and has a very large dedicated and loyal following of mostly other wedding photographers and you met her and that's how you started doing the wedding films with her or she just kind of introduced you to it or yeah what? so i was a well when i got into wedding photography when i was in college i found her somehow and i was a very dedicated loyal follower of caitlin for a long time you know this was again back in like the rss days and she would post blogs every single day and i would you know every morning i'd wake up and refresh my google rss feed and uh you know read her blog and read all these other photography blogs and that was just kind of how i learned about photography and that's just my personality when i learn about literally anything i just kind of dive super super deep into it and i'm very obsessive about things for better or for worse um but yeah so that's kind of how i like learned when i was just starting to get into wedding photography and i didn't know anything i just wanted to learn as much as i possibly could um it was her blog and a handful of others that i would read on a regular basis and then when my wife and i moved to richmond after we got married i knew that she lived here and my dream always used to be that if i could just meet caitlin at the grocery store like bump into her at the grocery store it would have been like a really big deal for me you know like i was i would have been super stoked if i just ran into her at target or something um, and long story short, there was like a photography meetup thing at her house. Um, and so we went there, we got to meet her that way. And that was a really big deal for me. And when I was working, I had a, like a corporate job, like a, 
I was a product photographer at the time and I watched a lot of Creative Live while I was working in editing. And one of the guys on Creative Live um, was basically saying like, if there's somebody that you want to work with, somebody who you'd be interested in like making connection with, instead of just reaching out and asking for something from them, like, can I pick your brain or whatever? He was basically saying that you need to show them how you can provide value to them. And so I spent like three hours writing this long email to Caitlin, basically being like, hey, I've been an Avid blog follower for a long time. I know that you've made two video blogs in the past. And, you know, I really connected with you on a deeper level through those, blah, blah, blah. I loved hearing your voice, yada, 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 on and on. My wife and I just moved here to Richmond. If you ever need any help with video, I would love to help out, blah, 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 blah. Send it nothing. I got crickets, nothing for like two weeks. I was like, Oh, I blew it. I was too forward. I was too weird or whatever. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have sent it. It was so dumb, blah, blah, blah. Two or three weeks later, I get an email back and she's like, Hey, we actually are speaking at WPPI in, I think it was next week. And we need a, like a little intro bumper video they've asked for. Would you be able to come over next week and film some stuff of me and her husband, Michael, that we can use for this WPPI talk that we're giving? I said, yeah, that would be great. Perfect. So anyway, so that was how we started our our friendship. And then from there, it was sort of like it just all spilled into courses and um, literally every, I mean, I've filmed all of her, not the birth, but like her, like all her children's births and all sorts of stuff. Um, but uh, <laughs> you were there. And then you two years ago, happened. this is this is where I think this will cross over with your audience. Well, two years ago, we actually, I convinced her finally to start a YouTube channel. Um, so for the past two years, I've been managing um, and helping like produce or whatever her, her YouTube channel. Um, yeah. So yeah. yeah. And yeah, I definitely want to get to that. I just wanted to get the whole like history lesson there. But I think, I think there's some valuable um, information there that you just shared, which is like, if you want a relationship or you want a, uh, you know, a client that especially someone like her that you actually really looked up to and you thought it was, was a perfect fit, something like that, you know, putting together an email might feel a little strange or awkward, but, um, and I don't think she was blowing you off. She just probably didn't have anything for you to do. No, yeah. So like, and she gets, I mean, hundreds of emails a day. So, I mean, I, it was, it was totally fine. But yeah, and, and then that's one of my favorite stories to tell because that one email has completely changed the trajectory of my entire life. You know, I mean, I wouldn't be where I am today in any, probably, in, I mean, any capacity without having have sent that one email. Um, so, but yeah. But like, you wouldn't have gotten the work if you didn't have work to show for it in the first place too though you know like you weren't you weren't coming in with no experience and so i think at the end of the day like it's okay to to, i think it's important to ask as a freelancer and as a as a creator just like ask for work and then um just blast it out and see what happens but just keep your head down and just keep going making stuff uh while you can to build up your portfolio and stuff so um that's a cool story though and i didn't i didn't know that whole story so that's interesting yeah it's pretty it's funny. It's um, it feels like ages ago um, because now I mean a lot of people. It depends on I mean depending on how you know me on the internet. A lot of people just know me as like Caitlin's video guy. Like that's just kind of like who I've become. Um, but yeah, that origin story is one of, is a fun one for me to tell. So currently, let's let's fast forward to now. Yep. So currently, walk me through your business and what you got going on, and then I definitely want to like 
pick your brain on how you're able to run that business. Sure. So one of the biggest things, um, as you know, uh, as a freelancer, I think that's the hardest thing about being a freelancer is just sort of the lack of consistency when it comes to income, um, especially when it comes to weddings. You know, I have a lot of seasons, especially in the summer months and stuff like that. You get a huge influx of cash flow and then you've got to go three or four months with potentially, you know, nothing. And that was always very stressful to me and something I really didn't like. So there was plenty of times in my like entrepreneurial journey where I was like, you know what, I'm just, I'm going to get a real job. I'm going to go get like a nine to five job where I can just have a paycheck. So I have the, you know, consistent income and I have that stability in my life. Um, and then I thought about what that actually would mean for my life. <laughs> and having been someone who's been basically running my own business um, since 2014, was when we went like full time, um, the idea of having like paid time off and having to take vacation time and call in sick and check in, or clock in and clock out, all that stuff sounds absolutely miserable to me and something that I'd never, hopefully never want to go back to. Um, so what I, my, I was trying to figure out when we were trying to transition away from weddings is like, how can I create a system or a life or whatever you want to call it, where I can kind of have some sort of consistency in my income without having to like actually have a nine to five job. And basically what I have kind of found over the years and what I've slowly kind of transitioned and worked my way into is a situation where I have some retainer clients that are on a monthly retainer that pay on, you know, long, long-term contracts. So six month contracts, year long contracts. So I basically have a paycheck, you know, every single month, I know exactly how much money I'm going to be making from these retainer clients. Um, but I've also left enough margin in in my life and in my week where those retainer clients that I have, while they pay, you know, 80 to 90% of my bills don't necessarily take up 80, 90% of my time. So it still leaves me the freedom and the flexibility to pursue my own YouTube stuff or take on other freelance projects and things like that. So uh, it's been a really cool process because it's kind of the best of both worlds. Um, yes, I have some accountability and that I need to, you know, I have deadlines we need to meet every week. And, you know, last year for Caitlin, we posted a YouTube video every single week. We didn't miss a single upload, which I was very, very proud of. Um, so there's, you know, obviously there's some pressure and accountability that comes along with that, um, that is different than if I wasn't working with or for anybody. Um, but I can up, I can edit those whenever I want, wherever I want in Disney world or whatever, you know, which I've done in this past year. So, um, yeah, it's kind of, I've, I'm really happy with where things are at and I'd love to chat more about like kind of how we got here and, and what that looks like, but that's basically where I'm at right now. So I manage two, two YouTube channels, basically full time, and then, um, have a handful of other sort of like clients that I kind of work with on a regular basis. And is your, is your wife still involved in the business? Um, at all or is, yeah so is last year we shot four, last year we shot four weddings this year this upcoming year i think we have three on the book so we're kind of trying to like weed weddings out we're not taking off the table completely so that's the majority of what she's been helping with is sort of the wedding stuff so that's definitely a little bit more low-key um with the kids and, and stuff like that so we have a two and a half almost three-year-old and then we have a 10-month-old so the last you know couple of years have been really crazy for us um but she has her own kind of stuff that she does she has her own blog and she has um an earring business and some stuff that she's also still doing um so she's a little bit less involved in sort of the day-to-day -day youtube production stuff that i'm doing um but she's still involved in the business and has her own stuff that she's working on so I think overall the freelance lifestyle as a creative is so um, important and it's definitely not for everyone um, but I think a lot of the people who do listen to this it, it can relate yeah. um, I have worked now like I guess I've only had three real jobs the first one was Dave Ramsey mm -hmm. doing video for him and then 
the second real job, if you want to call it that, was Indie Mogul, where I, I was a W-2 employee, mm-hmm. um, but I don't Basically really like count YouTuber, that because that, yeah. was, that was way too much fun for a real job. Right, right. <laughs> and, then, um, and then now with Amy and Jordan. And like... I, you know, I talked to you about this and, and obviously like they know this, but I talked to them about going freelance, uh, starting next month. And I basically said, we had a meeting. I was like, I don't want anything to change in terms of like, I will be your video guy. Like when you think about video, I want Dave to be the person that you think about. And I'm here to help you. I would just like to go freelance. That's it. Like, that's it. Like there's no change. Every video that you want to make that I was making previously, I can still make, Mm -hmm. Um, the only difference is I'm not, you're not paying for my health insurance and my taxes. And, and I'm not obligated uh, to be here eight hours a day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think, um, at least for me and obviously for you too, like that's a better, um, healthier workflow. But at the same time, it can be very like stressful and, you know, anxiety producing to have to live your entire life like that, you know, um, to, you know, to go from project to project to project. And that's why I love what I get to do now is because I get, I get, it's really is the best of both worlds. Cause I have that consistency where yes, I have to crank out, you know, a video every single week or whatever it might be, but it, we have this sort of agreement or understanding where you're right. I don't get penalized for working quickly. As long as the video gets put out on Thursday and it's, you know, to the quality that we expect and it's well done and, you know, all those different things. It doesn't matter if it took me two hours, 12 hours, 20 hours or whatever, you know, um, it just needs to get done and I can kind of do it whenever I want. But I also have the freedom to do what you're talking about, like those other types of projects. And that was the big thing that was most important for me. Cause when I first started doing this like retainer client thing, at one point I had, I think four, maybe five different retainer clients that all had weekly like uploads or needs or whatever. And that was just super stressful because every single day, you're on an editing deadline every single day you had something you need to do and there was no wiggle room for anything else. Um, and then if I wanted to go on vacation or I had to take a couple of days off or whatever, then I had to front load all that editing because there's really no way to get ahead. And then you're also waiting on them to get your footage and all that sort of stuff. So it just became like too much having that many. So you don't want clients. too many. Yeah. You don't want right. that many. And yeah. I had no room for other projects. People would be asking me like, hey, we have this really cool one-off project opportunity to make a video for this company or whatever, but I didn't have any margin in my day or in my week to take stuff on like that. So, yeah. So, so kind of blend of both is the best of both Exactly. Worlds. And that's why I love, um, again, that's why I love it so much because I get the consistency of working with somebody on a regular basis and we get into a groove and kind of know each other. And again, Caitlin's YouTube channel and I are kind of like one in the same you know like we've you know it's we've built this really cool relationship over the years um but again but i also have the flexibility and the freedom to go do whatever i want as long as i still have the time to get her you know videos done every thursday yeah that's been my struggle is um and again nothing against amy and jordan at all i've been extremely grateful and it's been a fun process and i think it was necessary for me to take a little break from YouTube over this last year. Mm-hmm. I was so like going a thousand miles an hour with Indie Mogul um, and just like living in LA, paying $3,000 a month for an apartment in Pasadena, <laughs> like that whole Gosh. lifestyle and yeah. the LA thing, like I needed us to take a step away from it and to kind of ground myself again. We found a good church. We found, you know, some friends here. We, um, you know, are closer to my parents and, We've been able to really connect with my parents this year. In fact, I'm actually moving um, in a couple weeks from this house to another house that's only a mile away from my parents. There you go. That's that's um, perfect. So, yeah, 
it's it's actually really good it's a healthy situation and they're willing to actually help laura quite a bit which is awesome because mm-hmm. she's a stay-at-home mom and yeah. just needs a break every once in a while so yeah. um anyways all that to be said like i'm ready like i feel like i was designed to be a youtuber like I, it's <laughs> yeah. every my dna was like as a magician and then a, f- a filmmaker and those two things combined i love performing and i love creating yep. like i just feel like that is such a, a thing that i was built for and i just love it i miss it so much so i'm ready to get back into it and when you have an eight hour day job it's hard and a family right you know like once my job's done then that time is obviously for my family and then when the kids are in bed sure yeah i got a couple hours at nighttime but i'm tired i want to spend time with my wife like right so having that flexibility where i can work a couple days a week on retainer clients and freelance projects and then maybe even if i just have one day a week open right um to do my own youtube thing then i can just do that and um i don't know i guess i'm giving an excuse for not having a youtube channel this year but that's my excuse no i think that in like you said in the season of life you're in and you know having two young kids and all the the big transition and all that sort of stuff having a year of just like we talked about it when we were in arizona you know being completely dedicated to something and just like being committed to it no matter what and just like the discipline of that is you know maybe not the best thing to have forever but in this short season it sounds like it was like the perfect thing for you and also to you know i think hearing you talk on the podcast and just talking to you over text and stuff i feel like um taking a break from youtube made you miss it and like appreciate it that much more which is really cool (laughs) and i think that's true um, because you know when you're in the youtube grind for so long you can kind of get jaded by it and you can get um, i did get jaded you can get really like sucked into the world but i think taking a break and taking a step back helps you see again like all the benefits of it and the make you appreciate it that much more so i'm excited for your um 2022 youtube endeavors whatever that ends up being and you know i don't know how much you want to share on here exactly but you know i'm excited for for what you have coming up coming (laughs) up next yeah maybe when when i actually am ready i'll do like an episode where i maybe talk about it because i might need some support so anyone who listens um just be on the lookout um so yeah let's while we're on the topic of youtube let's talk about youtube you've been doing caitlin's channel you've worked on several other people's channels Mm -hmm. uh, as well um, there's this great channel that you work with that's like a, a pin channel, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. uh, which is really interesting. So I want to get into all that. So tell me about your YouTube endeavors because yeah. it's really fascinating. Um, so like you, I, I just love YouTube. I am super passionate about just consuming a lot of YouTube, probably more than I probably should. And people always ask me, like, <laughs> oh, how do you know so much random information? And it's, you know, all because of YouTube. Um, but the idea and the thought of like being a YouTuber and like a full-time YouTuber or whatever always sounded like really appealing to me. And I started posting YouTube videos in 2015 or something, 2014, I think was my first first upload. Um, but I never had the time or the margin or the confidence, I don't think, to become like a full-time YouTuber. But I was always very passionate about it. Um, and so what's really cool about the people I get to work with from a YouTube perspective is that I get to do YouTube, I get to use and utilize the YouTube platform, but I don't have to live and die by the algorithm. I don't have to live and die by AdSense. Um, the the pen company, they don't even uh, monetize their videos. They haven't for over t- 10 years. Um, it's just not part of their business model and doesn't matter to them. And YouTube for them is a very different uh, tool in their business. And what's been really fun for me about listening to your podcast is hearing all the different people who are full-time YouTubers and I feel like I get to live, you know, the majority of their 
ex experience with YouTube um, without all of the pressure of, you know, ad ad rates going up and down and AdSense this and AdSense that and Adpocalypse and all that sort of stuff doesn't matter as much to me because the people who I'm doing YouTube for, that's not their primary objective on YouTube. But yeah, but the best thing about doing um, all of the YouTube stuff is again, I get to do and pursue YouTube and like, try and do you know, is, is do all the fun things with YouTube, make all the videos and thumbnails and play that game. But again, at the end of the day, like the ad, the views matter and stuff like that, but it's not the end all be all. Um, for, Kate, for Caitlin specifically, the main reason we started YouTube is because again, she has this very large loyal audience, um, but not, I wouldn't say that she reached like market saturation, um, but she kind of reached a point where like a lot of the same people were buying her products and once they've bought everything that she has to offer, you know, there's nothing really left for them to purchase and we were trying to think of ways that she could, you know, expand her reach and her audience and things like that. And I was like, YouTube is like, is the way to go. It serves so many different purposes. It serves your current audience. It helps you expand your audience that much further. It helps create SEO and blog content for you. And it just kind of ended up being kind of like the perfect solution that she never thought that she, she needed, I don't think. And obviously it was like something that I was super passionate about. So the fact that I'm also doing the majority of the uh, the time consuming work when it comes to YouTube stuff is also like a, a benefit for her. Um, so yeah, so I love it because I get to do all the YouTube stuff um, for lots of like, again, across different genres, all sorts of different stuff. I get to use all of the, all of my gear and all of my sort of like creativity from everything, like I said, from these like product reviews to gear reviews to, you know, everything in between. Um, but I don't have to worry as much about the views and the AdSense and all that stuff. Yeah, I, mean, I can, again, I can really relate. This is why we connected because yeah. uh, my whole YouTube journey also has been like that, mm -hmm. except I've been the host, but Kinotika, right. I was I was paid to host Kinotika. This show that we're on, it, even though I've really kind of taken ownership of it and really have enjoyed it, and I feel like it's my show at the end of the day, this is a Polar Pro show. Right. By the way, everybody go to polarpro.com and buy filters. And we now have like amazing uh, clothing line. Did you yeah, know about this? I did. I did. So yeah. check it out. If you like, uh, if you're somebody who likes to go outside and buy REI type clothing, we have a lot of that now with a Polar Pro logo on it. So, um, but that, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm paid to do this show. Yeah. Um, and then Indie Mogul as well. So, um, that has made me extremely nervous for what's to come here, <laughs> but I've seen the dollar signs on the back end, especially with Indie Mogul. Mm -hmm. I feel so blessed that I had five months there. They weren't making very much money when I started. And then when I left, we were making three times as much as when I started. Yeah. And I was only there for five months. And you know, the, we, we all put a lot of work into it. Tway and Matt and Jake, the three guys that I was working with most. And then obviously Ted Sim. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just calling them out if they're listening. I love those guys. I miss them so much. Uh, we all did it together. But, you know, with my help, we were able to, to grow it. And I feel a lot of confidence. Like, okay, I've seen it. I've done it. I know how to do it. Let's go. Like, let's do it myself. Mm -hmm. But it's still nerve wracking because my wife is like, completely trusting me she's a stay-at-home mom um and <laughs> like next month like i don't really know what's gonna happen next month right i really don't and um so uh anyways all that to say like it is risky business getting into youtube um because like you said you kind of live and die by the platform in a way and you don't want that to be the case like that's why you, 
a lot of creators diversify their income mm-hmm. with um, Skillshare courses, mm-hmm. with uh, LUT packs, <laughs> you know, right. uh, obviously merch for the entertainment channels, especially. Um, I don't know a single creator in our camera filmmaking niche that makes any money with merch other than McKinnon, but um, yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, I, mean, I even but, wonder his pirate life stuff. That stuff is so oh, okay. so niche. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how yeah, much. Totally. Maybe he does make money on merch. I don't know. <laughs> but um, all that to be said, like you know, it's it, to be a creator on YouTube. And Colin and Smear always talk about this. Like it really is an entrepreneur job. Like you, you're an entrepreneur. If you're a YouTuber and you're making a living, you're an entrepreneur. You're not just a YouTuber. You might as well like if you're at a party and somebody asks you what you do, you can, you can kind of just say, I'm an entrepreneur instead of YouTuber. Cause it's very hard for people to understand what that means. Like you're a YouTuber or, you know, an internet creator. Um, you're an entrepreneur and the, the business that you're doing within that business is internet video creation. Yeah. But well, and that's what um, I think is so cool. And I actually, you know, want to start up my own YouTube stuff again this year. And I've been hemming and hawing about like what I want to talk yeah. about. And I think that this is exactly what it is because I think that there's so many people out there who are like you and me who love YouTube, are passionate about YouTube and knowing and understanding YouTube is a skill set, you know, in itself. You can be a really great filmmaker but not know anything about YouTube and you know and vice versa. Um, but I think that there's so many businesses and people out there like Amy and Jordan, like Caitlin, who need and want video content like this. And it may or may not be YouTube, but like there's so many people out there and you don't need, you know, I guess I don't have like 12 different clients that I'm working for, 12 different channels I manage. It's really just the two. Um, and I think there's so many people out there who have the skill set that we have that may not want to have to deal with merch and skill shell classes and all that sort of stuff. And if you could figure out a way to market yourself and show the value that you bring and just understanding the platform of YouTube and filmmaking and storytelling and all those different things and how you can bring it to another business like Caitlin, and it's a win-win for both of us. You know, She is able to promote her stuff make money, run her business, selling all her courses and doing all that stuff on her end. So I'm able to help her in that way. We're able to reach a ton of photographers, um, more than I ever could probably reach on my own, just like with my own platforms and circles or whatever, helping them grow their businesses, change their lives, do all that sort of stuff. Um, And then I also get, you know, regular money from it. I can feed my family and live and live and not be worried about, you know, where the next project's going to come from. So it's like a really cool situation. And I think there's a lot of people who listen to this show who could probably provide this service or value or whatever to people out there. It's just a matter of finding the right person and figuring out and just knowing that it's something worth offering. You know what I mean? Sorry, I was on mute. Absolutely. I, I mute it when I'm, when you're talking, I mute. Cause like, I've been getting a lot of comments recently. Like if you like a show with a lot of yeahs, then you should listen to Golden Hour because I'm always like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But it's just because I'm having a conversation. Like I'm I'm not thinking about the production, but I, I went ahead and just started muting myself that yeah. way when you're talking. It's nice and clean. And then I don't have to edit it. There you <laughs> so, go. <laughs> I can't agree more. And as you're saying all this, I'm starting to think I'm like, because as I'm going freelance, I'm already tr- trying to figure out like, you know, I'm probably going to need some extra little odd jobs here and there Mm -hmm. to kind of get myself going before I can obviously like I'm starting from zero with my next, uh, venture. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I'm like, okay, should I just go back to weddings? Like I got some, fr- some really good friends here in Nashville that, you know, I could probably pick up the phone and they would have work for me right away in terms of weddings and, and corporate stuff. But I'm kind of thinking, I'm like, I built up this skill set over the last four years. I might as well start use it. Like if I were only editing and working in YouTube land, even if it's for other creators, I think I would much rather enjoy that. And it's a skill set that's a little bit more rare and specialized. So mm-hmm. Like being able to edit for YouTube and and talk to a YouTuber, knowing the the way that thumbnails and the way that the editing works. Like so, I don't oh, know. Yeah. As you're saying all that, I'm like, maybe I should. I, I try think to so get too. And YouTube the, the best part about it is that there's lots of tiers to what that can look like, right? So for me with Caitlin, you know, I that's like full on hands on. You know, like I'm thinking, you know, coming up with script ideas, writing scripts, filming everything, editing it, posting it, thumbnails, like the whole thing. Like that's one variation of it. But there's another world in which you could have some client anywhere in the world, really, Dropbox you a bunch of footage that they're shooting themselves on either their phone or, you know, a little RX100 or whatever, you know, and you can kind of either, you know, provide services where you teach them how to use that, help them get the right gear, all that sort of stuff. And then you're helping them outline, shoot, do all that sort of stuff. So you're providing that service and then they're just dropboxing you the footage and you're editing it or whatever. And that can be done completely remotely. There's so many different ways you can do this across the spectrum of small businesses. And there's so many small businesses out there outside of the filmmaking world. And I love that you talk about this all the time on this podcast is like the the filmmaking slash like tech YouTube niche is very specific because we have the cameras, we have the gear, and we almost have to like go above and beyond with like all of this stuff. But there's so many other realms out there on the YouTube sphere where if you just had like a little bit of knowledge about lighting and audio (laughs) and editing, they would stand out head and shoulders above the rest of their competition because nobody else is doing that, right? It's everybody else just filming on their iPhone or whatever and still getting millions of views. So if you could just bring that little bit of production value from the tech space, you don't have to go all the way to like the, you know, MKBHD levels, but you know, just adding a aperture light with a soft light source on it and a decent mic will take some people in certain niches head and shoulders above the rest and then that creates so much value and if you can provide that for somebody remotely then it's huge and that's why again that's what i want to talk about all on my on channel and the more i talk about it the more like excited i get as you can hear you can hear my voice because <laughs> that's the stuff that I, I mean i'm literally doing this every single day i tear and tear up and set down this setup multiple times a week and and filming stuff all the time. Um, But there's so many people out there who could provide this to people. I just think they don't realize how valuable it is. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. I mean, um, I don't even know where to begin with that. It's almost like just looking because YouTubers are that the beautiful thing about it is that they're international and um, all over, you know, in terms of America, they could be anywhere in the country and you could still, like you said, you could still work for them, just work over, over Dropbox. Um, you know, uh, we had Hayden Hillier Smith on, he was working for Logan Paul for years while still living in London. Right. Um, it ended up working out really well that there was a time difference because Logan would vlog all day, uh, upload the footage, go to sleep while Logan was sleeping, Hayden was working and then Logan would wake up and watch a rough cut of the vlog that day, yeah. make notes and then boom, he's done. By the time right. the video's uploaded, Hayden's going to sleep while Logan's filming. It was almost like the perfect combination uh, at the time when daily vlogs were a thing. Right. Uh, whereas Casey Neistat would vlog all day, edit all day, go home for like an hour and then edit all night and then repeat, like he did it all himself, yeah. which is just insane. But. Um, 
yeah i don't know where i'm going with that but it's just crazy um and that's the thing is you really only need you know two or three clients potentially to be able to make a living honestly and that's what i think is so cool about it and it's right finding the right people right like caitlin and amy and jordan they're, they're a little bit they're unique you know there's not every entrepreneur is not as successful as as they are necessarily, but there's so many people out there who have successful businesses in lots of different endeavors and realms and things like that, that need video content and may not even know that YouTube is where they need to be putting it. You know, um, there's so much value to YouTube and I mean, you, you, I, and your audience knows the value of YouTube and you know, the back catalog and how it grows over time and it exponentially grows in value over the years and all that sort of stuff. But Caitlin doesn't know anything about that. She doesn't watch YouTube. She doesn't know anything about YouTube. But when I explained it all to her, she's like, oh, she's like, that's great. Like that makes so much sense. And we've seen the fruits of that. You know, I was just looking, um, TubeBuddy gave me some stats for our 2020 and 2021, like, um, YouTube stuff for Caitlin. And in the first year that we did it in 2020, here, let me pull it up here. We did, um, we gained 17,000 subscribers. In 2021, we gained 25,000. So again, not like nice. huge numbers. You know, we don't have like millions of subs, but you know, yeah, but that's, that's going to snowball. That forty percent increase. In um, theory, that'll continue to snowball. Right, and then in 2020, we did 563,000 views total for the channel, and last year we did 1.4 million. So that's a 154 percent increase. So yeah, that's a big. Know, increase, so that's great. Yeah. And she, so we have right now. I think we have like 46 or 47,000 subs. Um, so nothing crazy, you know, in terms of YouTube or whatever. But we're pulling right now on average like four, five, six thousand views a video. Um, mm-hmm. And then in and then November and December we had like a couple multiple like 30, 40,000 video view videos in a row. Yeah. Um, well, those are the best. Those are the best months of the year for YouTubers. That's why. Yeah, I know. For <laughs> Everybody sure, for goes sure. crazy. But you know, but no, yeah. It's, uh, and, and and over time, over time, it'll those a lot of the videos that she's doing are evergreen as mm-hmm. well. It's just kind of like overall general um, topics about photography yeah. and. Um, those will continue to get views over time, which is awesome. Yeah. So it's been, it's been cool to see. And it's, you know, it's so hard to, the one thing I will say that's really tricky with this type of like business model is that it's really hard to put it in like a finger on an ROI. So if you have a client who is like a very ROI, like numbers based and they're like, well, what's my return on this? Like, when can I start seeing a return on my investment or whatever? It's really hard to, to pinpoint that. Um, the other thing I will say is that the best candidate for somebody like this to be, you know, a potential client, if you're a video maker out there, kind of like us, is somebody who already has a lot of um, sales funnels and systems in place to generate revenue. Um, Because, you know, YouTube is such a top of the funnel. We're really just trying to get as many people into as many of Caitlin's funnels as possible and then let them sort of like do their job from there. Um, If somebody's like, I need to make the money from YouTube or need YouTube to be generating the revenue or, or whatever that may not be the best, you know, cause it's a slow, it's kind of a slow grind, especially at the very beginning. Um, but if you can find somebody who already has a lot of these systems in place and they have, you know, proven and effective sales funnels and systems to make, to make money, YouTube is a great way to just pump more people into, into those funnels. Totally. It's, you know, you got to think about podcasts, YouTube as, um, at Gary V the Gary V model, which is like, you are a production company essentially. And yeah, there's no R there's no direct ROI from creating these shows, but obviously like that's how you get people to buy stuff is like you have 
millions potentially of people that are exposed to to you who you never would have um you're giving them value by giving them information or you know uh, tips and tricks or reviews or whatever um they're getting free value from you so therefore when they see your face they associate that with like a good warm fuzzy feeling of like oh they give me good value and i like their stuff they're funny and then it's like oh they're selling a course on something that i'm interested in actually i've I've learned so much from them over the last year that I've been subscribed. Maybe you don't get a dollar out of those people for over a year, but when that moment comes, when you're selling a product and then they feel like they can trust you and, and purchase that product, it's like, obviously that's the ROI, but how do you, like you said, like you can't put your finger on, oh yeah, this one person, they subscribed about a year ago. They've been watching every video since then commenting. Uh, they haven't bought anything, but this last month they bought it and it's like, well, so what I made, you know, a hundred videos in a year for that one person. It's like, yeah, that's how it works. Right. And you multiply that by millions of people and boom, there you go. That's yeah. like a huge, huge win. And the, the, cause the alternative for a lot of these people who are making courses and selling courses and stuff like that is Facebook ads. Um, but as we know, like mm. Facebook ads can be very, um, tricky, it's expensive, Tri expensive and tricky. And, yeah. and you've got to know what you're doing. And so they have like a, you know, a Facebook man ads manager guy who they've got to pay. And, you know, eventually they become, you know, less, um, less valuable over time or less uh, effective over time, the more that you like saturate some of your audiences and things like that. So um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely, again, it's a very, it's very different from Facebook ads. It's sort of very like immediate, like you see the clicks or you see the, you know, the cost of the cost of a click or whatever. You can see that pretty quickly. YouTube is much yeah. slower over time, but again, yeah, we've only been doing it for two years, Who you know, a year from now or two years from now, if we are growing 156% of our views, you know, mm -hmm. year over year, which, you know, may or may not slow down. And we haven't even had like a, like a huge viral hit or anything like any crazy, crazy numbers on any of our, any of our videos. Um, you know, you're just waiting on like a couple of those to really like pop off and send you into the YouTube stratosphere or whatever, you know, to really start seeing like <laughs> yeah. a huge uptick in, in subscribers. But, um, so when it comes to business, like running your own business, what are some of the mistakes that you made and things that you think a lot of other creatives uh, make in terms of running a successful business? Obviously, there's the the art form. And I think that's something that we all, you know, hopefully are decent at as artists. Mm -hmm. But I know I struggle with the business side a lot. So walk me through some of your mistakes, oh, some man. of the things that you think other people need to, need to know about. Um, yeah, so I'm definitely not um, very business- focused i would say that's definitely uh, not my not my passion that's for sure um so i think some of the biggest mistakes we made over the years was just um neglecting a lot of things that needed to be not neglected and not not hiring people when we needed to hire people um you know things you know in terms of taxes and getting the right you know business licenses and permits and all those different things that we sort of just like i hate all that stuff so i just try not to think about it um so i kind of just like pretend like it doesn't exist. And then it, you know, it comes back and bites you in the butt and, um, you know, not getting ahead on paying quarterly taxes and things like that. And then you get to the end of the year and you've got a, you know, $18,000 tax bill that you have to pay because you weren't paying taxes over the course of the year. Stuff like that, um, has really, has really bit us in the butt in the past. Um, has waiting too long to outsource. That was a big thing when, it, especially when we were in the wedding world. Um, I was very reluctant to outsource. Like a lot of artists are with their work. Like I need to have my hands on every project and every wedding film needs to be handcrafted by me. And, uh, that was just <laughs> killing my, um, 
my quality of life, um, especially when we were in that like really deep into the wedding wedding world. So outsourcing wedding editing was a huge, huge blessing for us and was made a huge difference in the rest of our business. It allowed me to pursue all these other other endeavors. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the hardest thing, especially with like the freelance YouTube stuff is figuring out pricing. Um, and you know, I've talked about that and it's hard because it's like, you don't want to charge hourly because hourly doesn't make sense because you again you're punished for being effective and efficient um but you need to have some sort of a people want some sort of a number they can put on it to say like well, why does this cost what it does and, and stuff like that so kind of figuring out what that looks like has been a has been a journey um but for the retainer clients the the, the advice i guess i would give that i've kind of landed on is to put the value more on the end product than the actual result itself so um we put some like loose parameters around like hours just to kind of like estimate how much things should maybe cost um but at the end of the day i have a sort of like a unwritten um unspoken and it's, it's spoken but unwritten agreement with the different clients that like listen this is what we're going to produce every single week or every single month you're going to get x number of videos um they're going to be at you know this level of quality we've kind of come to understand and this is where they're going to be but if it takes two hours or 20 hours it doesn't really matter how we get there it's like as long as the product is good and high quality and you're happy with it then we have this sort of mutual agreement that some weeks it'll take longer some weeks it'll take less and we kind of have just averaged it out and as long as we're all happy with like this is how much it costs and this is what you're getting as long as we're all mutually like feel like there's fair value being exchanged both ways then it just kind of is is what it is um and it's it's not everybody will want that and sometimes you'll have to you know maybe quantify it a little bit more but that to me has been the most freeing thing is finding people who are okay with that and being able to live in that space versus like tracking hours and trying to be so like uh, meticulous with all that stuff when it comes to um, business licenses and taxes and stuff, I'm curious, like, what are some of the things that, that you've done? Like, do you have, are you an LLC? Do you have a tax person? How does people, how do people even get there? Do you, who do you look for to help you with that? Yeah. So do you have to find a specific person that's good at entrepreneur stuff. Yeah. So we have, our lawyer is amazing. Her name is Caroline Fox. Um, engaged. The, the hard thing with lawyers is that it's very specific from like state to state. Cause every state has like very specific um, laws and things that are unique to to those different states, especially in in Tennessee. Um, but finding a lawyer who specializes in like small businesses and things like that, um, we are set up as an S corp, um, which has a lot of baggage along with it and means a lot of different things. Um, but it's just there's lots of resources out there these days for um, lawyers and people who are specialized in small businesses, entrepreneurs, things like that. The Law Talk is one. Um, the legal page is another. There's a handful. We can link all these below if you want. There's a handful of different like resources that have either contract templates or all sorts of different things that are geared and designed towards creative entrepreneurs. So that's that's great. Um, we use a service called Gusto that runs all of our payroll. And then this is a lot of this is in my wife's realm, so I'm not like super 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 familiar with it. But we do use a couple of different services to like do our bookkeeping and to run our payroll and to do our taxes and all that sort of stuff. Um, we've had quite Probably like uh, QuickBooks is a very popular yeah QuickBooks one. is a good one. Um, <clears throat> if you want to be more hands on and it's something that you want to like take on a little bit more time. The nice thing about this is it's kind of they basically do I'm sure what QuickBooks does. It's just like 
we don't ever have to think about it. They just do it for us. So it's more expensive. But um, in the past, we had for a long time, we had a like a, an accountant that was just like a small business accountant that was, you know, relatively small, like one person that we kind of worked with. Um, we actually ended up getting screwed over a couple of different times um, just with people not taking care of stuff and whatever. So the the companies that we're working with now, uh, Bench and Gusto are the two, um, have actually been the best. It's been the best setup we've had in a really long time. It is kind of like a big, a bigger company in terms of, um, it's kind of like if you work with a, like an outsourcing editing company where they have a bunch of different people who work on different accounts and things like that. Um, but for this, it's actually worked out really well for us and having more hands involved on it has made it so when you get to tax time, they have um, really great processes in place. So they're way ahead of the game. They're not going to get bogged down by having, you know, uh, that's what happened in the past is we had, you know, you get to tax time and your one poor little accountant has all these different clients and maybe they've grown over the year and they get to tax time and they're overwhelmed by it and they can't get to your stuff or whatever. Like that's stressful for everybody. So the bigger, like this, like bigger box company has been a really great, has been really great for us. I know the one for sure is Gusto. Um, that's what runs our payroll and stuff like that. So that's the only like hard thing about being an a S corp is that we technically have to run payroll. Um, there's advantages and disadvantages to that, but it helps in terms of like not paying less taxes, but not paying so like such crazy high taxes. Um, huh? Interesting. So you're people who work for you are not 1099s. Um, so no, they are. So we pay ourselves payroll. From the business, oh, we pay ourselves payroll from the business. Mm-hmm. So okay. there's so with an S. So the money that you make gets funneled into your business, mm-hmm. and, and then you pay yourself a salary. Pay ourselves a salary exactly, and you're only paying. Again, I I shouldn't really talk about this too much in like a public forum because I'm not an expert on it for sure. But basically, when you are a um, either a, just an LLC or a um, sole proprietor, you're paying taxes on every dollar that your business makes. You know, you report yeah. on your W two, and you're paying, you know, all the or, normal like uh, government your W nine taxes, right? Um, As a freelancer, the ten ninety nine. Yeah, but so you report it on your own. At least the way we did it was we report it like when I would file like a W two with like the government, like everything that we made was all kind of included in that for my own personal stuff. So any money that we yeah. made like personally. It is what I'm saying. It's all very confusing. It's, it's complicated. But like being an escort, basically what it does is it separates everything. So the money that comes into the business is taxed differently than the money that we take as a salary. So instead of having to pay that full amount of taxes on every single dollar that the business makes from like a personal tax standpoint, we're only paying mm-hmm. those like personal taxes on the money that we draw as a paycheck if that makes sense. Gotcha. And that's like a very simplified version of it. Again, don't, don't take my like advice as uh, in that realm as, uh, as fact. <laughs> but the only advice I will say is like, find a professional who knows what they're talking about and can set all that stuff up for you and manage it all for you. And that was, again, that was the biggest um, relief for us was like knowing, okay, everything is actually legitimate. We're set up well. This is being managed on a monthly basis by somebody who isn't me that knows what they're talking about. And when I get to the end of the year, there's not going to be any surprises. I'm not going to be having like this huge, big bill I have to pay or, you know, whatever. Like it's all set up and legal in the back end. Um, having our contracts yeah. <clears throat> custom made by our lawyer, things like that. Like all that sort of stuff that costs money up front. That's a lot of, that's a lot of big, like big word, big boy stuff. Like where can somebody start as like, like maybe they even have a full-time job. They work at Starbucks or whatever, like, and they're starting out, um, 
just shooting weddings or like random little things like what are what are the mistakes you made when you were young when you couldn't obviously afford a lawyer or all these other things you know become an s-corp like yeah so i mean first starting out so i would say like no matter what like even if you're just starting like having a contract is really important like all this stuff even though you're saying like oh if you're maybe just getting started or whatever a lot of this stuff is is super super important and the nice thing again is a lot of these the people i mentioned the legal page the law talk um engage legal they all have um contracts that you can purchase from them that are kind of it's kind of like buying like a website template right it may not be perfect and it may not be like as like airtight as if they made it like custom wrote it for you um but it's definitely better than nothing and it's better than just like trying to write your own um so starting from there, and even if it's just like a really simple contract that you have and you, again, you buy off one of these sites or whatever, um, yeah, and they have ones that are specifically made for videographers. Yeah, I've, I've always been very like, if I'm just going to be like self-aware, immature about it, um, it's always like... I, I've always had this idea in my head that like, I'll just pay somebody to do it. I don't like, yes, I know I'm slowly building things up and things are getting worse, but one day I'm going to be a millionaire and it won't matter anymore. And I'll just pay somebody to deal with it. Um, which is, imma- that's completely immature. Yeah. <laughs> it's so immature. And a lot of people I feel like have that attitude, especially at the beginning. They're like, oh, like this isn't a big deal. It's just like a little thing and blah, 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 blah. And then it's like, next thing you know, it's grown into like a bigger thing and uh, even you know yeah. maybe on accident or whatever and like i said you know there's nothing worse than getting their taxes back and being like yeah you owe fifteen thousand dollars like right now you need to write a check <laughs> to the irs for fifteen thousand dollars like that's 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 stressful you know like you may not have fifteen thousand dollars <laughs> yeah. just sitting around to like pay to the irs or whatever often you don't yeah and it's um yeah it's just it's it's not fun and it's not sexy and it's it's funny i love that you talking to you about it because it's one of those things where like it's been such a part of my life for such a long time that i think i might take it for granted as well um because it's just kind of like the world that i live in like all of my friends and the people i hang out with like this is just we all are in this world of like entrepreneurship and running our business and it just sort of yeah is what it is um but it's definitely not definitely not the norm so love talking about talking about that even though i don't know as much about it as I, as I you know, can talk to you about the I specs of my C70, but, you know. Well, yeah, let, let's talk about that. C70, how have you enjoyed using it? Um, it's been, I guess, over a year now that you've had it, right? Yeah, I ordered it on um, launch day, which I've never done for a Canon nice. Cinema camera. I was on the C100 Mark II before that and the C100 original before that. But both of those I, I bought like four or five years after they were released, you know, so I bought them cheaper. Now, obviously, like... We both know that the A7S III can do almost everything that the C70 can do, if not maybe even better because it's full frame and sure. uh, whatever, but it also isn't a proper cinema camera. It's also not made by Canon. Right. <laughs> so yeah. like there's a little bit of both, but like, why did you choose to go to Canon is just because you own so many lenses and you're just like, I don't want to switch. Or, yeah. I mean, starting out in uh, photography, Canon is kind of just like the way to go. Caitlin was on Canon and you know, all the photographers I followed when I was first getting started were all on Canon. So that was kind of just the route that I started down on. And then when I started using the C100, I just really fell in love with the cinema camera form factor and the different tools. Um, I'm a very like precise, um, like, person like i i'm not as the typical creative where i'm super like um you know like type a or type b like i'm kind of a good blend but i'm probably actually more type a than i am like 
extremely creative. So I love being able to use things like waveforms to know that my exposure is like dialed in like very precisely and perfectly and having, you know, focus peaking to know that I'm not like guessing or hoping that it's in focus. Like I can see, I have data to show me that yes, this isn't focus or this isn't or whatever. So in, you know, using ND filters so I can use a proper shutter speed and all those different things that I loved about cinema cameras. Um, once I fell in love with that, it was really hard for me to ever switch back to just using DSLRs at the time. And then even when like mirrorless started becoming more popular and things like that. Um, but when the C70 came out, obviously that was kind of the best of both worlds because you get a lot of the benefits that you'd have on a mirrorless camera with almost all of the cinema features that you could ever possibly want. Um, so yeah, the C70 was literally my dream, my dream camera and I've loved it. You know, I have two of them now. Um, I've been using it literally you know, every single day almost for over a year and it's not perfect. There's a couple of different things that I don't, that I don't love about it, but I would, I still can't imagine only having like an R5 or something like that as, you know, as an alternative or even, you know, A7S3 or whatever it may be, anything that doesn't have built-in ND filters, I just can't imagine going back to using. Um, I used the EOS R for a long time as my gimbal camera and I loved that, you know, that was and that was fine um, with the, you know, the ND uh, adapter, the variable ND adapter, which is nice. But um, yeah, I mean, what do you want to know about the C70? I could talk about it for, for days. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know. I mean, I feel like you basically said it. It's just a workhorse that, yeah. you know, I've been using with Amin Jordan every day as well. Just like you've been using it for your, your customers. It's consistent. It's reliable. Other than the flip screen that slowly starts um, bending and cracking and breaking. Yes. I have, have you have you sent yours in yet to Canon? No, not yet. So I have two. I have two C70s. The one that I use on the gimbal primarily that has the like um, the... Uh, speed booster on it that I always use on the gimbal. The screen on that one yeah. is super janky and wobbly because I do a lot of like touching that with one hand and I'm in a hurry and bumping it on stuff while I'm using it as a gimbal camera. The other one yeah. that I use as a, like a tripod monopod camera, the screen on that one is still like perfect or whatever. It doesn't wobble at all. So my wobble isn't so bad that I need to send it in yet. But um, now that it's the, well, I don't have an off season anymore. I used to say like now that it's the off season from weddings, um, I should probably send it in. <laughs> but um, it's fine right now. I have a I have a friend who uh, sent one, sent his in. He said it only took two weeks. Um, yeah, which isn't too bad. And we, I mean, it it hurts, but you you have the R. You have other backups. Yeah, I have other backups, to. and a lot of times I don't even use both cameras. A lot of times I'll just shoot in 4K and then punch in. Um, if I, you know, depending on what I'm doing, if I'm just doing YouTube stuff or whatever. So I could definitely send it in if I really wanted to. Um, I'm kind of waiting for it to get worse potentially. Um, yeah. Before I send I it in, like send... if I really need need to send it in um but the, the most disappointing thing for me honestly of the whole camera it would be i would say it's like a perfect camera for me if the autofocus was like 10 percent better you know mm -hmm. um it's sort of i know you told me this i've never had a problem with the autofocus it's yeah it's funny it's like i think maybe it's because i'm so used to shooting when i shot with the r on the gimbal i was just a lot more confident for whatever reason that like when i put the little box wherever it would be um, Seems to be working pretty good today. The, so the face tracking works great, especially in something that's lit really well. The lighting is great. The the way that on, honestly for me, when I found the most issues with it was when I was shooting on the C70 on a gimbal at a reception and like filming dancing footage, right? Because I'm doing a lot of moving around. There's a lot of different like levels and layers of heads and bodies and people. Um, and with the R, it never had a problem. I would kind of just like as long as the box was generally around the person that I wanted to be in focus, it always seemed to find the right spot. It never would really hunt 
too far or too hard from the front to the back or whatever. It would never search. It was kind of always where I wanted it to be. And I just found in the same scenario with the C70, which again, granted, is like a relatively low light situation, even with my like video lights on, it's still relatively low light um, and like a pretty tough autofocus situation. It just doesn't handle it as well. Um, and, you know, obviously that's kind of a niche scenario, but for something like this where it's just like talking head and yeah, and I'm using, you know, the face track autofocus with native yeah. Canon lenses. You know. Maybe that's why I've always thought it was great because that's the only use case i use it for yeah so for talking like heads well lit youtuber setting where yeah it's yes, just for youtube track the, my face the face track is great but again the face track was great on my c200 and you know the autofocus on that was not great but the face tracking was um so it's just like all the other different scenarios i also film a lot of um behind the scenes stuff for caitlin kind of like you do um with amy and jordan and there's been a few times where that where i don't really want to use the face tracking because i I just need it to, it's not always like, she's not always facing the camera and I just don't want to like it to lose itself. So I'm trying to just use the box. And there's a few times where I'm just like not confident that it's like, even though the box is over her, if she's smaller in the frame, I'm like, is it focused on her? Mm -hmm. Is it going to focus on the background? Like, what is it going to do? And yet you and I both started with DSLRs with no autofocus (laughs) and made it work. So So, yeah. And it's it's one of those things where like, if you're going to rely on it, you need to trust yeah. it fully. And yeah, I mean, I could I could manually focus the whole thing if I really needed to or had to. And I've done that in the past. I did that for years. But um, yeah, that's I mean, that's the only like downside I would say to this camera. But for the type of work that we do, again, like long form stuff, the, the best thing about this was that with the C100 and the C200, you know, in the studio, in this scenario, it worked, you know, just as well for the most part, you know. Um, but it was the ability for me to take two of these and throw them in a backpack and go just bring just that in a lens or you know whatever throw it on a gimbal and it'd be that much smaller that to me is like the biggest advantage um is just like that it's small enough that i can fit it in a backpack but if i want to i can kind of like rig it out and plug it in and put it into like you know a studio mode Um, but everything you're saying can be applied to the fx6 or sure the a7s3 obviously yeah yeah yeah. except the a7s3 i wouldn't include because it's a hybrid camera this is not a this is a proper yeah the fx6 like i know like i've been watching a lot of serodici stuff and she shoots with the fx6 and it looks great and it's definitely way sharper than the c70 that's something else i don't love about the c70 is it's not super sharp um tyler stallman was talking about this recently he was noticing too that it's just like not very like crisp you know when you watch something that's shot like a sony camera you can tell that it's shot on a sony camera you're like wow, like that is super, super sharp. And again, for some stuff that may be good or may not be good. Um, but the C70, yeah, just there's not, either there's like not enough internal sharpening or whatever. So what I've actually been doing recently is I've been cranking the sharpening up in post to like 80. Um, oh, wow. And it, then it <laughs> looks a lot closer to the, you know, A7S3, FX6 or whatever. Because I was getting comments on Caitlin's YouTube channel. People were like, Oh, I love you're talking about this like super sharp lens, but this video is soft. I was like, and he's like, he's like, what, what was this shot on? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, listen, bro, this was shot on a $5,000 camera and a $4,000 lens. It should be, it should be sharp. Maybe that's why. Because you're be using, sharp. you do have the uh, the 35 mil uh, cinema lens. Maybe you're, were you soft actually? So that's the thing is no, like it's in, it's in focus. And that's, I mean, I, I'm looking, I'm like trying to say, okay, maybe, maybe I missed focus. Yeah. Cause if I'm using the cinema lens, it's only manual focus. So I'm like, maybe I just missed focus, whatever. So I'm like trying to like zoom in and look around <laughs> and see like, is the focus maybe instead of being on her eye, maybe it fell to it's on her shoulder or it's somewhere else. It's on her hair, whatever. And I'm like, no, like it's in focus. But yeah, as soon as I started cranking it up, 
Um, and I, I started just Googling it and figuring out, I saw some other forums, people have had the same issue where they're like, it's just not super sharp. But if I crank it up to 80, it doesn't look crazy at 80. Like it doesn't look like you're over sharpening it. It looks like how it should be, you know? Okay. Um, so that's, that's been an tip. interesting might, like, experiment that I've. I might start applying with. a little sharpening because I've noticed that as well. And I do a lot of 4k punch-ins mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and you can obviously really see the softness there. But Yeah. So I always, with my Canon stuff, I've always added like in um, Premiere, I've always added like 15, 12 to 15 sharpening, like on the C100 or whatever. And that always felt like an appropriate amount to not feel crazy or whatever. Um, but yeah, I was like, I'm just going to crank it all up and see what happens. And I think 100 is a little too much. But yeah, I've been doing 80. And um, yeah. I may I may go to the dark side this year and um, sell some stuff and buy an A7S III. Um, it's such a great camera. My dad actually bought one. My, I think I told you my dad's a filmmaker. Yeah, I think that's and, super cool. Yeah. Um, he ended up buying one and it took three months for it to arrive, but he finally got it. Yeah. And he's been letting me kind of play with it. And um, over Christmas, he let me be, I'm always the, I don't know about you, but I am always the like family photographer. Mm -hmm. oh, um, yep. I'm not like Amy and Jordan don't love I mean, Amy, it's funny too. Amy and Jordan are my family. So like mm -hmm. we were all together for Christmas, not working like because we're like Amy's my cousin yeah. and Becca and Emily are my, we call them niece and nephew, but um, they're technically my cousin, second cousin once removed. I yeah, think, yeah. I don't know how it works, but um, I, they don't take pictures like documenting, but I love documenting. Mm -hmm. Like I love the, uh, the, the, they call it, I get, they call, they make fun of it in their courses. Like the unk, the crazy uncle yeah, yeah, Uncle Bob. like taking yeah. pictures of you, like while you're taking a bite of a chip. <laughs> like I actually like that. Like right. I, I enjoy that because that's more real to me. That's more authentic to what's happening. Mm -hmm. It's actually documenting what's going on rather than the fake, like posy shot right. that my mom always wants to get at the end. It's like, we didn't take a picture. I'm like, what do you mean? I've been taking like hundreds of pictures all day of us interacting like no we we i want to get a picture of all the kids and everybody lined up in the living room yep. with a smile and the kids like doing everything they possibly can to, to not yeah. <laughs> uh be in the photo yep but anyways i was using the a7s3 and this is the first mm -hmm. time i really used the a7s3 as a photography camera mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and especially for taking pictures of toddlers mm -hmm. and the autofocus was so unbelievably spot on yeah. with the eye autofocus even with a two-year-old who is a maniac running around it was tracking his eye as he's running towards me i'm like snapping some photos he turns around and it still locks onto his head even when his eye's not in the shot and it like I'm able to track from behind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the EVF on it is like incredible. The flip screen is great. And I actually think the 12 megapixel sensor is a plus because I don't want 60 megapixel images of documenting Christmas. Right. Like I 12 megapixels is what my iPhone is. That's all I need in terms of just like pure documentation sure. in fact i was shooting jpeg i wasn't even shooting raw yeah. so um stuff like that. i mean i honestly i mean d i don't know if i'm like afraid to admit this or not but i think the a7s3 is basically like the perfect camera if you want a mirrorless camera you know what i mean like if you don't care about nd filters you don't care about all the cinema things that i love it's the perfect camera um and i think the fx6 is comparable or on par to the c70 like i wouldn't say like one is significantly better than the other but again i have so many Just Canon lenses brands. sitting in this closet yeah. over here that it's not that much better than the c70 to make me go sell all of my lenses and switch over so yeah i mean 
but yeah, I mean, I think the A7, when the A7S three came out, I made a YouTube video about it basically being like, yeah, this is like the perfect camera, but I'm still not, That's but I'm still not going to buy it because <laughs> I want built in ND. Like all these things are way more valuable to me than it being like super sharp and be able to shoot like beautiful 4k 120, which I can, which I can do on this now. Um, because like the work that I do, nobody needs beautiful 4k 120, at least not very often, you know? So, and my experience with the a7s3 which i've had quite a bit of with indie mogul and stuff mm. when i was reviewing it and doing all the comparisons like the color has been solved like mm. sony's yes. yep. color is now good like we can definitively say it's different it's not the same as canon but i can now honestly say that if you're not buying a sony because the skin tones are bad that's not the case anymore yeah, no 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 100%. Um, that's been fixed um all, i mean i shot with the a6300 for a while for weddings as like a gimbal camera and the color on that was brutal like it was pretty it was pretty rough <laughs> yeah um but yeah no i think that yeah color science wise and all that sort of stuff and you know it's that being said canon does have a very distinct color science and i do prefer it i pref like if you put the a7s next to the c70 i still you know, as much as I hate to admit it, prefer the Canon, yep. even though the C70 is a little bit more of a dog to carry around. It's big and heavy. Mm -hmm. I had to buy an easy rig just to like be able to shoot all day on it. Whereas yeah. on an A7S, I probably could have gotten away with like a neck strap or something. Mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't have IBIS. It's not full frame. You know, yeah, the adapter got, or the you know the magnifier helps or whatever, yeah. but that has made my life like better. Like I love the adapter, but it's also more complicated because I have no incentive to buy RF lenses, even though it's an RF mount camera. It's I have absolutely no incentive because then I can't use the RF lenses on in their full frame equivalent. So like I just I actually recently like last year I bought this sixteen to thirty five version three two point eight EF, and I almost I, and I was like I should buy the RF fifteen to thirty five because it's like. A fantastic lens but i was like but then if i buy that then i won't get the 16 and i'm buying this because i need that ultra wide for behind the scenes and for like um yeah it's awful because <clears throat> now you're stuck stuff. and you're an r5 owner as well right you so i just R5? have an r um an I, r? i've okay, been so hemming and hawing about buying an r5 um i'm waiting for the no, wait it out the... yeah next week right yeah yeah so yeah i mean i guess as we're listening to this podcast it may actually already be out true, but true, true. um the r5c is rumored to be announced Same. and coming out which is um i think canon rumors was saying that the flip screen is a little extended out from the body which means i think they have like proper heat distribution built into it yeah. so um i think you'll be able to continuously record 8k raw now yeah. Uh, without it overheating you know knock on wood we'll see if that's true mm -hmm. but i feel like canon got bit in the butt really hard with the overheating thing they're probably going to do everything in their power to make sure that doesn't happen again yeah that was a, it was a journey for me when the r6 and the r5 came out i was so, so stoked like i made a podcast about it i made a youtube video about it like, i was so stoked and then all the overheating stuff happened and i was like oh no and then the a7s3 came out and i was like oh no like <laughs> uh, this is i mean not awful but like yeah it was just like the a7s3 was like clearly superior and it's funny because like caitlin and i um, we made a bunch of we made a ton of videos about the r6 uh, over the past year or two yeah and does she shoot on that she did so i convinced her to switch over again i was so stoked about the r6 for for video when it first came out and i watched the keynote i was like caitlin we've got to get this camera so she bought it to use for for photo and she was like i don't know like she was very hesitant about it um but she loved it and i wouldn't say that we started a revolution 
but I wouldn't not say that we started in R6 <laughs> revolution because in terms of uh, the wedding world. in her, yeah, in her world, in her like sphere of influence, um, a lot, a lot, a lot of people have been switching to the R6 uh, largely due to, I think the content we've been creating about it because she has the means to purchase the camera. And then also we've been purchasing like RF lenses and reviewing those and things like that. And we've kind of taken that as like our, our duty to review these, um, you know, cameras and lenses for people in the photography world. Um, in kind of reviewing them from a non-tech perspective, but just from like literally from a working wedding photographer, you know, like Amy doesn't care about the specs and stuff that we care about. She just wants to know, like, <laughs> unfortunately, is this going to as, work? As much as I've tried to explain, she's right. like, yeah, exactly. but I don't And Caitlin's care. the exact same way. So it's funny <laughs> to try to make her like make a YouTube video about who's as somebody who doesn't watch YouTube videos, make gear review about these lenses and cameras and stuff. But that's why I think you've people, really can, you've really convinced her of it. That's a good job. Tyler. But that's why people have been loving it. Cause it's not like a traditional review. She's not talking about like the normal thing. She's talking about it from her perspective, from her just honest opinion about these cameras and stuff. So anyway, um, but yeah, so I have a lot of experience like with the R6 and from a more of a, from a photography standpoint or whatever. So yeah, I'm holding on to my R waiting to see for the, you know, 5C or whatever. Um, yeah. I don't know. That'll be, I think that'll be exciting. Um, yeah. I still probably wouldn't want it because it, the megapixels are so like, I don't, yeah, that'd I don't be want interesting to see if they reduce the megapixels or not. We'll see. I don't think so. I don't think so. I, I mean, rumors say because in order to do 8K, they need that's, the high. Yeah, no, you're right. That's the true. high resolution. That's true. So, so yeah, I mean, and that's the thing I thought about. Like, oh, it'd be nice to have, but the R is 32 megapixels, which I think is like the perfect size. Like, that's just big yeah. enough that you can the, be like do or the A7 four. The A7 four yep. is kind of like that. Mm -hmm. It's kind of just like the the perfect hybrid where, um, if you really truly are a professional photographer and also video, like. The R or the the R6 or the A7 IV are kind of those. Yeah. That sweet the only spot. thing about the R that I don't like is that there's such a huge crop in 4K. If it wasn't for that, it would. I would just keep yeah. using that forever. You know. Um. I mean, have you tried the Turbo Booster on it yet? Oh, actually, no. That's. I didn't even think about that, but that probably works, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. Oh. I, I remember when the when Metabones came out with the RF to EF speed yeah. booster before canon i did a uh, a video about it and it works perfect I and forgot it, it fixes about it. that that's a great point because i just bought another like standard adapter so i have so now i have three i had two adapters and three rf cameras for a while and that was a nightmare so i finally just bought like another like regular rf to ef pass through adapter so i could theoretically i could now see now i don't even need to buy the the r5 i'll just put the I speed know, booster on the four there. yeah other than the crop on it, I actually liked the codec. It was good. Like yeah. the, the files were good. And even if, if you really want some pro video out of the R, even though it's an older camera now, if you use an Atomos yeah, Ninja, Ninja, you can get... Mm -hmm. You can get 10-bit out of it, yeah. which is really and nice. And I did a it's whole a video series when I only had the C200 um, where I shot the R as my like B cam in 4K. And I just used it as like a tight interview shot because I didn't need it to be wide anyway. Um, and you couldn't tell the difference between between them when I went back and forth between them. So, yeah, I mean. I used to use it all the time when I was a YouTuber. Um, yeah, it was one of my primary cameras for a while. But Yeah, and then especially um, if you just need 1080p, then it's great. Um, it's just if you need 4K, then it's that's where you run into some problems, but man, now I'm going to use the, the speed booster on my R. Give it a try. Do a test. Yeah. See if you like it. Um, so you, you're actually on some of Caitlin's videos, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're actually, not only do you, you make them, but you're kind of a co-host. You're like the, the resident video guy. Yeah. I've become like, um, my personality has become infused with the channel and I'll put little, like, um, little notes, little funny, like, 
clip like words i'll edit them in and and stuff like that and so people definitely know who i am it was funny being at that conference we were at which is a primarily photography conference and being there people come out to me and be like oh my gosh you're the guy from caitlin's youtube channel and i'm like <laughs> i guess that's me I mean, i've made a i've made a couple of videos How's, usually it's like we ran out of video content and we need a video for that week and i'm like uh i'll just i'll, I'll just film come something up with here something. at my house yeah that's awesome. Um, but yeah. And how, how have you enjoyed being a performer and kind of like learning that side of it being on the other side of the camera? Oh, I love it so much. So like I have a YouTube channel and I've posted to it sporadically over the past, you know, however many eight years or whatever. Everybody go subscribe. Um, I'm assuming it's just Tyler Harrington, right? Yeah. If you search Tyler Harrington, it'll show up. Um, it was the Harrington. So the URL is technically the Harrington's. But if you search Tyler Harrington on YouTube, it will show up. And we have like 12, I have 12,000 subscribers, which is not, you know, nothing. I'm monetized. So I've got that. I got that early before it was really hard hard to get um but yeah i've gone you can through change like, you can change your url by the way if you really want to i've tried it's yes it's it's a whole it's a whole thing so like i went through a, a phase there if you can see at the beginning of this past year of 2020 where i did a video every day for like 12 weeks right just to like challenge myself to be more like consistent because i've always like i'll do a video here a video there and then i'll fall off for a while and in whatever so i do um I do like making YouTube videos. It's something I actually think I'm pretty like halfway decent at. Um, but the, every time I like look back at my channel, I'm like, eh, I'm like these definitely could be better. Like, there's so many things that I know now about YouTube or things that I've like, I don't know, just don't end up being in my own videos because I don't have enough time to like put into them. Um, and then I end up getting discouraged because like, they don't get enough views as much as I think they should, and yada yada yada. So then I just like stop doing it. But um, I want to do, I want to do more. And I want to do them consistently. And again, because I started in wedding education, like wedding filmmaking education, that was like a really easy uh, niche because like you, it's very like the content to make is relatively like straightforward. Like you know who your audience is and you know what to say and like how to speak to them. Once I kind of moved away from the wedding education stuff, it became more difficult for me to figure out like, okay, who exactly am I speaking to? Um, who is my audience? And that's where I kind of got like in my own head and kind of discouraged and flustered because... I was like, I don't really know who I'm speaking to here. I would either try and I felt like I was trying to bring things down like to a level that was like super, super easy to understand, but then it wasn't really like genuine to what I'm passionate about. Or I felt like it was like way too high level for the people who are watching, like above everyone's heads who cared. Because again, a lot of my like Instagram audience and people are like people who follow Caitlin who just like happen to follow me. So it doesn't really speak to those people when I talk about cinema lenses and codex and 10-bit-422 and like all that stuff but that's what I'm passionate about talking about so anyway like I said I've had some clarity recently about like what I want to talk about and that's what I hope I can like pursue going forward and just like really be able to be genuinely excited about stuff and not always feel like I'm trying to make content for people who don't care about it if that makes sense <laughs> yeah that's the hardest part of creating is figuring out what you like first and figuring out what you want to do and then finding an audience for it just kind of it does kind of just happen but the only way that it can happen is by just being consistent as you know uh with caitlin um, yeah and the majority of my audience know. for youtube is built around wedding education stuff so now when i'm posting new videos mm -hmm. the views are gonna be lower than i would hope just because it's yeah. like a different audience so i just need to like push through that and like just keep making them totally. um and they don't think about the numbers too much exactly. um, the numbers that are most important is if you can get them to click on it look at the analytics on like the retention that's the most as you're getting started with that mm -hmm. like transition out of the wedding thing like yes maybe the views are lower but 
if you're getting people to watch longer and longer, you know, episode after episode, Mm -hmm. then that's a good metric to be kind of judging your success off of is like, did they actually watch longer on average on this video compared to the last video? Right. And um, rather than the views. For sure. And the other thing too, I've always found difficult about YouTube is like allowing my personality to come through. I feel like when I was doing wedding education content, it's easy because that's something I was really, really passionate about. It was like, was my whole life. So when I would talk about it, it was like very natural for me to just kind of speak about it. But when these, like those last videos I made at the beginning of 2021, I felt like I was trying to like force the YouTube thing and I was in this like YouTube mode and it wasn't as like, I don't know. It didn't feel as genuine. So that's another thing I'm trying to pursue. Do you feel like when you make YouTube videos and stuff like that, that you become like YouTuber Dave Mays? Or do you feel like you've kind of found a way to be like, be yourself? I mean, obviously you need to. Yeah, I, I was, I think I worked all that out as a magician Mm. when I was younger because I did that full time for six years. Right. Yeah. So it was very natural for me to be on camera um because i was a performer uh for so long and i learned about performing i had mentors like i i was on stage and and i had help in that way mm-hmm. so I, th- I feel like i got all those kind of bugs out when i was 14 when i was thrust into cc's pizza at 14 years old to do magic for people table to table yeah that first moment of walking in and realizing oh i have to go up to strangers and ask them if they want to see a magic trick you know <laughs> it was pretty um like it really was nerve wracking for the first couple of weeks. And then after a while I realized like, Oh, people actually only think about themselves. They don't like, if you feel nervous, you shouldn't feel nervous. Cause like other people don't think about, Oh, that guy's really stupid. Like people don't think that, you right, know, right. like, yeah, um, I just didn't take my own advice. It's so funny when I make YouTube videos for Caitlin and for all these other people, it's easy to be like, Oh yeah, you just gotta like trust the process and like just keep cranking them out and like, don't worry about the numbers and like, just keep yeah. making it. Like I can, t- I know that. And I tell people that and we like, practice that over there but when it's like my own youtube stuff it's hard because i'm always like oh this is stupid this is a stupid video Second i shouldn't have done it. this like no one cares about this blah blah blah, blah. so i just need to well like- if you if you ever need a guy to bounce off of feel free to reach out i can be the i can be the tyler who's normally behind the camera for you there we go that's what you i know, need if you ever need it i appreciate that so everybody go follow Tyler um, at Tyler Harrington on uh, Instagram, right? Is that your username? I was kind of guessing. Yep, that's it. You got lucky and got your actual name. Uh, unlike me who has an underscore. I used to be uh, TMH23 <laughs> on Instagram and Caitlin, it took Caitlin like three years to convince me to switch that it'd be better to just have my real name. So she was, yeah, so she was right. Everybody go follow, follow Tyler I on made, Instagram. And then uh, obviously two, two Instagram posts in 2021, I think. Eh, maybe more. There you go. But I just made one. <laughs> yeah, I never post on Instagram. Yeah, I need to be better about it. I don't it. like but it. Anyway, but yeah, dude, this has been great. I, uh, I love uh, chatting about YouTube and business stuff and whatever and yeah, it's fun because it's business. like a little world that I kind of feel like I live in on my own over here. And like yeah, I work with Caitlin, I work with these people, but like <laughs> I'm the one like ideating a lot of this stuff and kind of thinking about it. And I don't really get to talk about it with anybody who cares very often. So <laughs> I appreciate well, I'm it. I'm glad that I got to, got to give you that today. So yeah, man. we do care. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Well, thanks Tyler for coming on. Everybody go f- give him a follow on Instagram, subscribe to his YouTube channel. And uh, we'll have to have you on again when your YouTube channel's blowing up right. next year. Hopefully. hopefully we'll see. Yeah, man. Thanks, thanks man, for coming. I appreciate on. it.